2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, when you got it, say so. The Bible says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffered trouble as an evil doer even to the point of chains but the word of God is not chained therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory this is a faithful saying for if we died with him we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God, we thank you so much today because you are truly good. You are merciful to us, dear God, and we acknowledge that we are here because of your grace and mercy. And so we humble ourselves before you, thanking you so much for those faithful men, Lord God, who have given, who gave their lives at the foundational times of your church, Lord, to make sure that your word was preserved, that we may be able to be partakers of it, God. Lord, we thank you because you show us your sovereignty preservation of your word. We thank you for the inspiration of scripture. May we have ears to hear what you are saying to your church. May we humbly reply to you in obedience, God. As we hear you, let us not only be hearers, but doers of your word. Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So today is the last message in this series. We have been dealing with growing pains and talking about the importance of growth. And so a couple of things, I won't reiterate them long, but in the beginning, the first message that we dealt with, it was called plan to grow. We need to plan to grow. We can't just imagine or, or should I say, we can't just hope that growth happens. We have to have some type of plan. And so we should have a heart to want to see other people come to know Jesus. Preparing for growth, we need to be prepared. We need to have the right mindset. We need to have the right perspectives in order for us to, to, to enable us to be able to see growth. Last week, we spoke on praying and preaching for growth and how important prayer is to the whole process of what God wants to do and that we must all acknowledge that we are at all times preaching a message and we are either preaching, I love you, Jesus, or I do not at all times in our marriages with our children, in our workplaces, 
in our neighborhoods, whatever it is that we are doing, we are constantly preaching a message. And so don't think you're not a preacher. Just think about what you're preaching. That becomes the most important thing. You may not be up here on the microphone. You may not be up here preaching to the congregation, but you are, some, you, you are to many people the only Bible they have ever seen. And so we need to be sure that we understand that. And today I want to speak to you uh, about this topic, and it is per- persevering beyond growth. We talked about growth and we made a big emphasis, or should I say, I made a big emphasis on growth and how important growth is to the body of Christ and specifically to Faith Doma Fellowship, that we would consider where we are, that we would consider what God is doing, and that we would get in the position and that we would be on mission with Jesus doing what he has called us to do. But here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to get stuck just thinking about numbers in a building. I don't want you to not think about numbers. Remember, there's one number and that's it, one. Each one is going to reach one, and you're going to continue to reach always. That is the one number that you want to be focused on at all times. But here is the thing. I don't want you to solely think about collectively, well, we filled this building, and so now we're good. Or we filled this building and another building that we'll move into, and now we're okay. Or we filled an auditorium, and now we've done enough. I don't want you to ever get to that place because if you ever do, then you have lost sight of what God has called us to do as a body. It's not solely about filling a place, not solely about numeric growth, but it is about us persevering the way that God has called us to. And here in this particular portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul begins to speak to Timothy, one of his sons in the faith, and he tells him, we'll start reading in verse 1 again together. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, or that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For you, for me, for everyone who calls himself a Christian, if you are a Christian, meaning that you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ, you consider yourself to be a disciple, then you should highlight, you should memorize, and you should keep that scripture close, near, and dear to your heart, because everything that you will ever do is only because of the grace of God and anything that you will ever come through is only because of being strengthened through the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus and it is important that we realize that that is the premise of being a person who is gospel centered that is the premise of being a person who really has Jesus as the center of their life that they understand that no matter where I am how good it may be no matter where I am no no matter how bad it may be it is by his strength and by his grace that I'm able to continue on. And we as a people must have that heart. And so he challenges his son Timothy. In this particular um, epistle of 2 Timothy, there are four chapters here. And in three of the chapters, Paul talks to Timothy about suffering. He talks to Timothy about difficulty, and it kind of brings us back to where we were toward the latter part of the year when we were going through the book of First First Peter, and Peter was talking about the hardships and the trials and the difficulties. And when we talk about the topic of growth, we need to realize something. Growing doesn't mean that things are going to get easier. Growing means there's more work to be done. Growing means there's more people to offend you. Growing means there's more people to break your heart. Mm-hmm. I was listening to um, Z88.3, and, you know, sometimes they, they have, um, you know, throughout the show, throughout the day, they have Steve Brown. He gets on there, and he's the guy who's got a real deep voice. And, you know, so if you've ever listened to it, you've heard him. Um, I can't, my voice can't get that deep. I might break something. But, um... <laughs> 
Ultimately, he's got a real bassy, strong voice, and he says, listen, and I'm going to paraphrase totally, but you'll get the point. He says, listen, if you are visiting a church to see what we're about, run. (laughs) He said, leave. And I was like, that is not a good encouragement for folks that are coming to a church. He said, and then he goes on, it got worse. I want you to know it got worse. He said, because we will talk about you, we will hurt you, and we will offend you. He says, but if you choose to stay, you will find a love that you have never known. And I thought about that statement, and I said, you know, it's amazing. Because I thought about, like, my family. And I'll just talk about my family because I know all y'all got perfect families, right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the family I grew up in because my family now is perfect. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I remember growing up, and, and, and I thought about something for a moment. I said, you know... When I think about my family, and I, th- and I thought back, I said, have I ever talked about one of my brothers or sisters? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about me, right? Glory to God. Have I ever talked behind their back? Absolutely I did. Some of y'all act like you ain't ever done it. See, I told y'all, y'all from perfect homes. Yeah, yeah, you ever said, listen, when I said talk behind their back, I mean, you didn't say something to their face. You got upset with something that they did. You spoke. And I guarantee you, whether you believe it or not, they talked about you. Right? Let let me ask you, did did you ever hurt your brother or sister? They ever hurt you? I used to hurt my little brother, Nathan. I feel bad for him. I think that's the reason why he's like he is. It's it's my fault. It's all my fault. (laughs) Just kidding. I, I don't know. I could be. But here's the thing. I thought about that. And I thought, and 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 as I was meditating on this thought, I said, you know, it's amazing because no matter how much they talked about me, I still love them. No matter how much I talked about them, I still love them. No matter how much they hurt me, I still love them. I still care for them. And it's amazing because this this is where the thought got heavy for me. I said, it's funny because when we come to church, we're supposed to have that family mindset, right? And here's the thing. We commit ourselves to our families on all levels. We expect to be offended. We expect to be hurt. And we're okay with that because it's what? family. It amazes me, though. You hold the church to a higher standard than your own family. You're not as committed to the church. You don't love people like they're your family. You don't care for them that way, and yet they offend you. Oh, my goodness. How could they call themselves a Christian? Did you get the heaviness of that? To our families, man. I mean, we can be hurt. We can go through stuff. But to the church, we're not half as committed to the church as we are to our families, yet we expect more from them in the place of perfection. That's horrible. Because you know what? I love Pastor Chad. He came up to me this morning and he said, how does it feel to be filled with the church full of sinners? I said, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Because we, listen, we are. That, That is why Jesus died. That's the reason why Paul comes and tells Timothy, Timothy, be strong, be strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Be strengthened in that grace. And so when we talk about growth, we need to realize there are going to be things that are going to occur that God is going to call us to. Pastor Robert was speaking about the connect groups. And, I mean, for real, and not, not, to, not to just say it because it should be said or whatever, but really, in all honesty, I was so blessed after our connect group on Monday night. I mean, I wasn't in all the other connect groups, but our group, I had a great time, glory to God. It was awesome. We, you know, we connected, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, we, we had, we, we, we talked. 
talked about each, you know, not about each other, glory to God. We didn't get there yet. We'll get there next week. I'm just kidding. We talked with each other, okay? We spoke with each other. We opened up. It was a great time to get to hear people's heart. I mean, I was amazed, and, and I, said, I, I sent this out to, to the ones that were in, my, in, in, in the Connect group, and I said, you know, sometimes we forget, and I, I think I said this last week, sometimes you forget about the grace of God in your life. Sometimes you forget about what God is doing. And when I sat in that connect group, it was like God, like every time someone would, would speak, he would like, you know, how, you know how you smack your kid in the back of the head, like, wake up. I know none of y'all do that either, but you know, when, you know what happened to you when you were a kid because, you know, your parents were imperfect. I know you don't ever do that. And, I, and I'm saying, you know, like, you know, hey, man, you know, what's up? Like, wake up. It wasn't like hard. It wasn't a hard smack. It was just like a love tap. Like, like yo, you see my grace? You see my grace? You see my grace? And, and, and so it, it's a blessing to be able to be part of that. But listen, it's good right now. There's going to be some tough moments. Is it every, every, every time that we get together is not going to be perfect. You know, someone may say something. You may say something that's crazy and someone has to correct you in love. And you know what I found out? Most people don't like to be corrected. Most people, and I, 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 I know me, I do not like to be corrected. I do everything I can to think about it twice before I do anything. I, I like think when I say twice, twice times like fifty. I'm like, let me just think about it this direction. What happened? And and I think because I don't want to be corrected. And then when someone comes and finds something wrong, it's like my wife. She's a wonderful proofreader. And y'all know if I make up words up here, you know my grammar's got to be crazy, right? Yeah, y'all know that. So when I'm writing stuff out, I mean, it, it took me like three years, seriously, to to really re- remember the difference between you know the t h e r e. And the T-E-I, the, the T-H-E-I-R, right? It took me a long time. It was funny because I saw a document that I, that I typed up like three years ago, and I had a doggone, I, I was wrong. I was like, man, she was catching me on this stuff. But I, I would get so upset. I'm like, why you got to read my stuff like that? Why you got to be so critical when you're looking at my stuff? You know, but thank God, because y'all didn't know, because, you know, most of it looks glorious. <laughs> but it's because of her. And so none of us like to be corrected. When you get corrected, it is painful. But ultimately, find your strength in the grace of God, not in your perfection. Right? Find your strength in the grace of God. He goes on in verse 2 and he says this. And he said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love this. Pastor Chad was praying with us this morning, and and as he opened his mouth to pray, it was funny because at that exact moment, I was thinking about the men of the church, and he began to pray. I was thinking about this particular portion of Scripture, and I was meditating on what I was going to say at this exact moment. Seriously. I say that because I want you to know sometimes you'll be standing in a circle, and you don't even know why something just comes into your heart, and it's not because I was, like, willing it to happen. Somebody, somebody pray about it. It wasn't like that. It was that the Holy Spirit was working in two brothers at the same time. God was dealing with my heart as I was meditating on what I was going to share, and God began to use him to pray out this thing. And so when I looked at this scripture and I was going through this, these two scriptures are more of like an introduction to what I want to share. But he says this. He says, in the things that you have heard from, uh, from me among many witnesses, commit them to faithful men. Say faithful men. We desperately, desperately need faithful men in the church. Now listen, I am not discarding women. Can, can everyone give a hand of praise to the women? I just want to do that right now because I do not want to discredit or act like women don't need to be faithful. Women, you need to be faithful too. Amen? 
But what I but what I really need to understand, or what I really want to get across, is that we as men need to be faithful to what God has called us to be faithful with. And the first place that God has called us as men to be faithful is to be faithful with the gospel. It is to be faithful with the gospel in our lives. I had the most amazing conversation with my daughter this morning. I was, you know, we were talking, you know, about um, di- different things. And I decided, I was like, you know, when I was getting ready to put on my shoes, I said, let me ask you a question. So she's sitting on the couch, and I put on my shoes. And I said, you know, she had to put on her shoes. And I'm like, well, what shoes are you going to wear? And we talked about that for a moment. And then I said, I said, let me ask you something. I said, if I wasn't a Christian, how would you share the gospel with me? And she looked at me, and she, you know, she's like, let me think. And then she gets, I know she gets nervous because she's like, okay, it's like she's on, oh, I got to be perfect with what I say. This is, because she knows I'm bishop, right? So, you know, so, and, 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 I, and, I mean, and I'm always like, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not real hard, you know. Honestly, you can ask my wife. I, I mean, I can get a little rough, obviously, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a drill sergeant with my daughter. I'm really not. I think sometimes I need to be. But she says to me, she's like, well, the first thing I would do is I would ask you, if you wanted to know more about Jesus. And then she said, and then even if you said no, I would insist that I tell you some more. (laughs) And I said, well, bless the name of the Lord. That's good. Go on ahead and insist. So she went through this conversation. I'm not going to tell you all the details. It was beautiful. It was long. I can't remember all of the details. But here's the point. The point is I sat there. And you know what, parents? I challenge you. I challenge you. Ask your children that. No matter how old they are. I don't care if they're teenagers, grown up. I don't care if they're little, whatever. Ask them that question. You know why? Because you're going to see how you've been doing with the gospel in their lives. You are going to see if you have been faithful, not only as as, as an example. Listen to me, parents, men especially, and single moms. Hear me. Hear me, please. It is not enough just to live righteous before your children. It is not enough just to say no to sin and to, you know, walk holy. You need to teach them why. They need to understand why they don't do this, why you don't do that. And when you ask that question, you're going to find out how how faithful you've been with the why. Because if you haven't been faithful with the why, they're going to be like, well, I don't know, you know. That's what they're going to do. And and let me say this because I I don't want to act like I'm boasting. I'm not going to get into all the details. My daughter wasn't perfect in her answer. You know why? Because I'm not perfect in my presentation. I'm falling. And so I didn't expect it to be perfect. What I did, I took it as a great opportunity. We had a good conversation about it. I shared with her some points, you know, on like repentance. Hallelujah. Because we all got to learn more about repentance and faith. And, you know, I asked her, I said, well, how do you become a Christian? I mean, my daughter got, I, I said this because this was pretty cool for me. I was like, wow. She went, she's like, I'm like, well, why do I need Jesus? And she said, well, because there's two books. There's a book of works and there's a book of life. I was like, she went to the book of Revelation on me. <laughs> I was like, glory to God. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I'm so, I said, so how does my name get in this book of life book? But the point of the matter is, you know, we're, we're having this conversation, and she, and, you know, and she, you know, she's talking about that. I asked her the question you know, at the end. Later on, I said, well, how do I become a Christian? You know, I walked away from her later, and I played like, you know, okay, I thought about what you were saying. Now, how do I become a Christian? When I did that, you know, she came back, and she was like, well, you know, you, you have to accept Jesus. And, you know, she went through all of that with me. And that's when we talked about repentance and putting faith in Christ. And, 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 and for me, this becomes so important because this scripture here is that we as men need to be faithful with the gospel. Everybody needs to be faithful with the gospel. But men, fathers, my, my burden for, the, I mean, that has come up in this year is men. Men leading 
Men rising up. I know we are praying as the leadership for men to be everything that God has called them to be. The reason why I point this out is because if there were not faithful men, how would we have the scriptures we have today? The church wouldn't be what it, and mind you, we're far from perfect. But if there were not faithful men who were willing to give their life, we wouldn't be where we are today. And see, here is the issue with the, with, with, with the reason why this becomes so important. And the reason why I wanted you to give the Lord a hand of praise for all the women is because churches today are predominantly filled with women. Women come to church. And I'm going to give you a statistic. I'll, I'll probably say it again later on. But here, here, here's what I want you to get. I was talking to Dan Holland, and he gave me this statistic. I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. He said, when a woman comes to church who's part of a matrimony and a family, when she comes to a church, there's a 16% chance that that family will stay in the church. This is statistically. This, this is measured throughout churches just to see what are the statistics. Woman comes, and, and listen, again, nothing against women. I just want to point out to you the statistic. 16% of those families are going to stay with your church. When you win a child to Christ, you want to know what the percentage is there? 8% of the families, like, you know, when we do VBS and stuff like that, you know, kids give their life to Jesus, 8% are going to do that. You want to know what the percentage is when a man finds a church and he decides to stay there? 92%. There's two things that we see there. Number one, men are supposed to lead their family spiritually. Men aren't supposed to send, send your wife, listen, go look at the church, see if you like it, and then we'll go. That's what a lot of men do nowadays. Go, go see. Go, go scope out the land like she's the spy going into the promised land for you. It's like, yeah, they got grapes or whatever. I don't know. She's coming back. No, there's giants in there. We don't want to go. We, you know. I mean, yeah. listen, it's okay. Have your wife. You know, um, Pastor Chad was telling me about a particular man of God. He was having his wife call churches to ask specific questions before they went to visit. Why? Because he's working all day long. He can't do that during the time that someone's there to pick up the phone. And so rather than waste their time going to visit, 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 they had some specific doctrinal questions that the family was agreed on. So they called, asked these churches these questions before they went and visited anywhere. But then he didn't stay at home and wash his car, make sure it was looking right, and then you come home and tell me to download. Well, you think he could preach? You think the worship was good? What about children's ministry? My brother, that is your job. That is your job. So that's, that, that's one thing. But here's the other thing. Us as men that are in here, how important do you think it is for us to reach other men? When we're looking at the perspective of church growth. You want to see a church grow? Which, what do you want to do? What are you saying, Bishop? We shouldn't evangelize women? That's the devil speaking. So no, I'm not saying that. I think you need to reach every woman. I think you need to reach every child. I think you need to reach every person on planet Earth with the gospel. My challenge right now, I'm not going to let you get out of the conversation. My challenge right now is to the men that are sitting here that we must be faithful. And listen, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, as a man to a man and speaking directly to the men, sometimes it is the most intimidating to engage another man in a conversation about Jesus. Because you know what? We got our little boxes. We compartmentalize and we make sure we kept you way out of that box. So since they never let you in that door, it's hard to just bust it down. Amen? But how many of y'all know the grace of God is able? 
And so it's important for us that we become these faithful men. And so I pray that as you men of God read emails that I send, as you men of God are called into covenant and relationship with other brothers in this church, that you will respond so we can be these faithful men that God has called us to be. Amen? Verse number three, look at it with me. It says this. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus. That's a great encouragement, huh? Be encouraged. You must endure hardship. That, that, that's real encouragement. He goes on. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better. Glory to God. It says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. In verse 7, he says, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Say this with me, perseverance is unnecessary without hardship. It would have been a wasted writing and exhortation for Paul to write to Timothy about hardship if hardships were not expected. Hardship in the Christian walk is something that we should expect and not just expect, but we should also prepare ourselves to rejoice in Jesus no matter what we're going through. This is what should be happening to us. He tells Timothy, he says, listen, you are going to have to endure hardship. In other words, you're going to have to share in the hardship. He's like, I'm in prison. Other people are going through all kind of persecution. And remember, he's writing to Timothy, and he tells him in verse 1, he said, God didn't give you a spirit of, of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Why does he tell him this? He's telling him this, these things because Timothy wasn't like, you know, a guy that's going to get up and just lead the crowd. He was a guy that was like, man, I'd rather just chill out, just sit in the back. I don't want to cause any rifts. I want to just chill. That was Timothy's demeanor. And so he's calling him to action. Why? Because that wasn't natural to him. Nonetheless, it didn't matter if it was natural or not. He was called to be that. See, sometimes some stuff for us in Christianity is not necessarily natural. Therefore, we need the super in order to do it in the natural. Sometimes things in our life, they, man, I, God, you're calling me to do this. I can't do that. Not in your own strength. But be strengthened in what? The grace of Jesus Christ. No matter what it is, it's unnatural. That's fine. Step out. Follow God. Did God command it? That's what you're supposed to be doing. This is what he communicates to us. And so he tells Timothy, he says, listen, he said, you are going to have to endure this hardship. And then he gives him three examples. And when he goes through these three examples, he brings three things together. He talks about a soldier. He talks about a farmer. And he, and, and he deals with a person who is in athletics. And so when you look at this, he says, you know, God is going to give you this understanding. And when you look at these, these three particular things, there are two things that they all have in common. The first one is that they are all going to work hard for whatever the task is that they have been given. And the other one is that they will be rewarded for their work. Those are the two things that these three individuals or these three examples have in common. That they are going to work hard. You look at the soldier. What does he say? He says, a soldier is not one who is entangled or engaged. And that's what that word is. It is to be entangled with the cares of this world. What happens when someone goes into the military? They leave everything. 
They go to boot camp. They're separated. They can't do anything about the civilian affairs that are going on. And so what do they do? They go and they work hard. They're not worried about civilian affairs. They're worried about their military call and what they're supposed to do. And what do they do? They work hard. And they work hard for what? So they can please the one who enlisted them. And so where's the reward? Right there. They get honorable discharge. Whatever it is that they get, they get to experience the rewards of those things. But their life is not their own while they're, in, while they're enlisted. They don't just do whatever it is that they want to do. They don't just live however, however it is that they want to live. They have to abide by certain rules. The next one, he talks about this athlete, and he says that this athlete has to run, or not run, but this athlete has to compete according to the rules if they are going to experience the reward of the crown. And so what, is it, what, what happens with these athletes? And those times, the way these athletes used to train was they would separate themselves for 10 months from everyone. They would go on a rigorous diet and exercise regimen, and they were preparing. There were certain things that they had to do in order for them to be able to compete. Those things were part of the rules. Couldn't just do the stuff that you want to do. I'll give you an example that's not necessarily athletics, and, and, and we could use athletics as an example, but I'll use another one that I thought was kind of funny. But when you look at, like, you know, our Miss America pageants, hello, somebody. And everybody does what they're supposed to do. You know, they go ahead and they win, and then they find some pornographic pictures. They get disqualified, don't they? Because they can't represent America because we're so pure. I thought that was ridiculous, but anyway, I'm just saying. At least the Miss America pageant has some kind of standard. I don't know. But anyway. They failed. They failed to play by the rules. And what happened? They were like, man, I got the crown. Nope. Give it back. No crown for you. The athletic example I'll give is, you know, guys, they want to go ahead. And what do they want to do? They want to go and they want to get big and strong and fast. What do they do? They take steroids. Why? Because that's going to enhance. That's going to make me faster, bigger, and I don't have to pay the price. You see the point? I don't have to pay the price. I don't have to go through things the way that everyone else is, and I can perform better. In less time, I can perform better. But hold on a second. That's illegal. That's not part of the rules, so you can't play for us. You can't do this for us. You can't do that. First thing is, Play by the rules, end result, you get rewarded. The last one is this farmer. Now, y'all know that I like Little House on the Prairie. You know, I, I watch that show. And, um, hey, y'all y'all laugh, but, hey, I watch it. I check them out, man. It's funny, you know, good good stuff. It's easy to watch Little House on the Prairie. Anyway, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> Ultimately, sit down and you watch. And, you know, and it's, pretty, it's funny because... They were kind of living in these, not necessarily these times, but, you know, they still did agricultural stuff. And, you know, Charles Ingalls, he's the man. That dude is, like, serious. I love that guy. I'm like, that is a faithful man, glory to God. He'd be ready to whoop someone one moment and pray for them the next. I'm like, I love that, glory to God. He, he, he's serious. He's, anyway, glory to God. He's a good character. Anyway, Charles Ingalls, he's a farmer, though. And listen, that, when you watch the way that this guy, these guys work, see, we look at farming today, they have all these plows that are machines. It wasn't nothing like that. You had, a, you, you had a plow and two horses in front of you or some mules, and you were holding on to these leather straps, and you were there trying. Look, they had one, one episode, Doctor, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the show, but if you're not, there's a guy by the name of Doc Baker. And Doc Baker had a situation where he quit being a doctor for about a month. 
and he decided he was going to be a farmer. He went back to being a doctor nonetheless. <laughs> Much easier occupation. Didn't pay well, but it doesn't matter. Back then, people were paying you with, like, baskets of apples. Be like, hey, doc, I need you to hook me up. Dude had, like, a whole thing full of apples and, you know, anyway. The point of the matter is, you look at these guys and you learn something about the time of farming and harvesting. What happens is they are working hard. They are laboring for what? So they can feed their families. They're laboring so that way they can bring in this crop. And so what is he saying to Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, this is the hardship that you're going to have to go through. You are going to have to work hard. You have to persevere through the hard work. You have to look forward to the prize that is at the end. You can't get stuck on the hard work because here is what happens. We will enter into situations. We will enter into the work that God has called us to. And as we do that, something occurs. We forget about who we should be focused on, which we'll deal with in the next verse, but we forget about where we should be focused on and we get caught up in the pain that we are going through we get caught up in the hardship and we never persevere and continue forward until we see the glory that is to come and what will happen to us as a church if we don't have a perseverance mindset a mindset to endure a mindset to continue through we will be happy once every chair is full we did our job listen that is not the end of the road God is calling us to do what to reach people for the kingdom and for the glory of God and so as we seek growth what happens is we will see the growth and you know what that is that is temporal blessing say temporal blessing some of us have issues because we are so much consumed with the temporal blessing that we're waiting on or we haven't seen that we forget about what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to follow Jesus no matter what. And as we seek him for this growth, because that's God's will to grow his church, to build his church, we have to persevere beyond that. We have to look into the glorious coming of our king and the real reward that we are all seeking to see, which is him in his fullness. Amen? Ver, um, the, ne the next verse that we will read here, he says in verse 8, he says this, Remember, say remember. That Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not chained. Say this, perseverance is all about the glory of Jesus. It is all about the glory of Jesus. Paul comes here and he tells Timothy, he says, remember. Why do you tell someone to remember? Because they forget. Because they are forgetting what it is that you're telling them. Listen, remember this. Don't forget this. My wife tells me all the time, you know, when, when she's telling me something that's very important, she'll be like, remember, remember. And I'm like, babe, you told me three times already. And she's like, yeah, and I know you're going to forget. And she's right, because I have a good memory when it comes to things that I'm really focused on and engaged in. But she knows there's some things that I'm like, okay, babe, I heard you. And I'm going to forget. And so you tell someone. And so you would think, right? I mean, think. I, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about your experience with Jesus when you first met him. Or the second time you met him or the third time you met him or whatever. I don't know how many times you've met him. And what I mean by that is you've experienced him, okay? talking about those overwhelming moments when Jesus has invaded your life, whether it's been in worship, whether it's been by yourself. For me, it was when I was messed up out of my face on drugs, and he walked up on me, and just I was to totally terrified, and he just transformed my life. And when I say walked up, I don't mean like he walked up like a gangster and was like, yo, what's up? It wasn't like that, okay? 
But that is the only time that I, that I heard his voice on, in six, 17 years, only time, heard him say it. You've come this far. You're going to stop now. The fear of the Lord gripped my heart. And I was like, wait a second. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to close doors, lock doors. My mom's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I'm just afraid. She said, look, just sit down. Let's read. She started reading the scriptures. I was crying. God was, I, I, didn't, I don't remember anything that she read. She read and read and read. I was bawling. God was speaking to me. She stopped reading. She started talking to me about things that nobody knew. Nobody knew that me and all of my gang banging and all of my drugs and all of that stuff. I used to come home every night and I would say, God, forgive me of my sins. I don't want to go to hell. Nobody knew that. He did. And trust me, I wasn't saying it loud enough for my mom to hear me. Hello. She started talking to me about stuff that, that man, I did not know about or that, that she would have never known about. And at that moment, she's like, you know, when someone is in the condition you are, you know, because I was all messed up, she's like, you know, we don't normally do this, but do you want to accept Jesus? And I was like, I absolutely do. You would think that someone who has such a dramatic experience, see, some of you are like, man, that was dramatic, Bishop. My experience with God wasn't like that. You don't have to have an experience like that with God in order to say that I, that, that I know him or that I walk with him. Remember, being a Christian is not about experiences and feelings. Hello. Being a Christian is about a walk of faith, that you believe what God says about you, that you believe what God says about Jesus, that you believe that, and that that alters your way of living. You want to know if you're a Christian? Think about those three things. Do you believe what the Bible says about you? Do you believe that the Bible says that apart from Jesus, you cannot be saved? Do you believe what the Bible says about you? That you are, listen, if you do not know Jesus, if you are not a Christian, that you are on your way to hell. Bottom line, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says you will be separated. Do you believe that? Okay, you believe that? Then do you also believe what the Bible says about Jesus? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that he is the only way? Or do you think Jesus is just a way that you can choose from a bunch of ways and get to the same place? That's not what the Bible teaches. If you believe that about yourself and you believe that about Jesus, it should reflect in your life. Because you can tell me you believe something all day long, but if your life doesn't show it, we got, we got issues. You got issues. I don't, but you do. <laughs> I'm seriously. I believe this wholeheartedly, really. You believe that? Why don't you live that? You may know it's right. There's a difference between knowing something is right and believing it. You may know, oh, yeah, that's right, that's accurate. I learned that all when I was growing up. Uh-huh. Do you believe it? When you believe something, it'll change the way that you live. Jesus or, or, or the, the Apostle Paul communicates to him this word, remember. You gotta remember. Like I said, you would think you have these glorious experiences. Some of you might have had them this morning during worship. These times, and how why is it that we go from those high moments to then these like valleys, like for just no reason? You want to know why? Because we forgot. Because we forget. Because we forget. We lose sight. Why do we forget? How, I mean, you think about this. Why do you forget stuff? I know you don't write it down. If I write it down, I remember forever. Listen, it's written down. And he, 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 he did you a favor. He wrote it for you. Hallelujah. He let someone else carry the burden of getting it to you. So you can write whatever down anywhere you want, but if you don't ever read it, mm-hmm. But you know why we forget stuff? Because we have other things on our mind. We have other things that are occupying our mind. And listen, am I saying that you're going to think about Jesus every moment of your day? Absolutely not. You're going to have to figure out things. You're going to have to deal with stuff. But the point is, you forget. I forget. So that's the reason why Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. 
the seed of David. Remember that he was the son of man as well as God the son. Remember that he was born of this Davidic bloodline. Remember the prophecies about him. And not only was he born, but he was also raised from the dead. So why does he tell him this? Because this is the encouraging part, that no matter what you are called to suffer, you have not yet suffered to the degree that Jesus did. This is the encouraging part, that even though we are called to suffer hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, even though we are called to go through things that are difficult and trying, we know that Jesus went through everything. He was tried in ways that he didn't deserve. He went through the ultimate suffering, and at the end of it all, he experienced the glorious resurrection. And that is what we need to be encouraged by. We must constantly be reminded that it is all about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And if it's ever not about Jesus, trust me, you will lose heart solely because you've lost sight. We have to always be reminded that my situation is bad, but it is still about bringing glory to him. My situation may be difficult, but it is still about bringing glory to him. And so just the same way that we're going to suffer, that we're promised to suffer, we look at what Jesus went through, and we know that he experienced the temporal blessing. Give, me, give, me, give you an example of a temporal blessing. Remember the conversation that he had with the woman at the well? You remember that? Remember he tells his disciples, they're like, eat, you know, go ahead and eat. And then he's like, look, I have a food that you don't know about. That was that temporal blessing, the blessing that he experienced here in this earth. He experienced that eternal power and revelation of doing the will of God the Father. And it's the same thing for us. We get to experience that. Not always in the best moments. Not always in the best situation. But we're able to experience that. But not only that. He was resurrected after he was crucified. And now he is sitting up in glory. Charging us and commanding us. Calling us to action. That's what he does. This is what he does. And so now he experienced this. And we know because the Bible teaches us in other places like the book of Romans. If we suffer with him we're going to reign with him. We'll be glorified with him. Can I say this? He said this. I, I love this when I, when, when I was reading it. He said, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. As an evildoer. As someone who was doing wrong, Paul was being accused. He is imprisoned at this time. He said, even to the point of change. So he is bound and he is in bondage. He said, but the word of God is not chained. I'm going to say this. One of the greatest, if not the greatest hindrance to church growth is that we allow our circumstances, be they comfort or complexity, to keep us from being on mission, meaning sharing the gospel. The Bible says that the word of God is not chained by our situation or our circumstance. But if you and I do not share the gospel, it does not work. Did you hear me? If I do not share the gospel, if people do not hear the gospel, they will not be saved. Are you getting this? And so when I go through hardship and I go through difficulty and I'm so concerned and so consumed about what I am going through, what I will do and I have a tendency to do is to become so self-absorbed with what is going on that I do not open my mouth to share the gospel with my neighbor or whoever it is that I come in contact with. Therefore, the gospel is bound in me, not because it's powerless. And so I hinder what God is wanting to do in people's lives. Because of what? Because I allow my situations to keep me with my mouth shut. Or the, or the other side. Everything is so good, I have no urgency to share the gospel. 
Everything is so good in my life. Have no urgency to see the church grow. Have no urgency to see people come to Jesus. I have no urgency. Listen, ultimately, you need to use every avenue. I need to use every avenue possible to share the gospel. Bottom line, to let people know about Jesus. That's what I need to do. I need to make sure that I'm, that I'm being that witness. Why? Because if I open my mouth, God is going to do his work, but i got to share the gospel. The book of Romans tells us clearly that how are they going to know if they don't have a preacher? If someone is, he says, faith comes by hearing. He didn't mean looking at someone's life and saying, hey, that's a good person. I want to be like him. You, you could, you could want to be like, you know, I don't know, Gandhi or something like that. Hello. Lived a good life, moral, great, wonderful. And, you know, you got all kind of Christians all over the place. They quote Gandhi all over like he's Jesus. Mm-hmm. I know y'all are, like, offended, but it's okay. Listen, you see someone good? That, that's not what it's about. It's not just about living righteous. It's about sharing the gospel. It's about opening your mouth, sharing the gospel, making sure that you're not a hindrance to the word of God. Verse number 10 here. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'll read that verse again. Therefore, I endure all things. There's that word endure. That word is the word perseverance, that I press on, that I preserve. That's that's what it literally means. It means to preserve in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty. He says, therefore, I endure all things. When he's saying all things, he means being in prison. He means being beaten. He means everything negative that is going on in his life, everything that has happened. He endures all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory say this with me perseverance Perseverance. say it like this our perseverance perseverance. is for the sake of the elect say that again with me our perseverance perseverance. is for the sake of the elect now, I'm going to say this because this is really important that you get this. And if you don't, it, it, it's, it, it's, you may not have, 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 an, have an issue with what I'm about to say, but you may. Like me, many people, including myself, struggle to fully understand this doctrine of election. When you hear the word elect, you start, you know, all kind of stuff starts going up in people's minds that, you know, have their, you know, their understandings or their opinions about things. Nonetheless, this doctrine is what, is what Paul is saying he suffers all things for. He says, I suffer all things for the sake of the elect. So who is the elect that he's talking about here? See, it would be easy. It would be real easy. Like for me, I could just say, yeah, he suffers for the elect. That's all the people that are in the church. Those are the elect, right? But did you see the next part of the verse? That's what throws the monkey wrench in that whole statement. Did you see the next? Let's look at the verse together. He said, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may. That means like a future, right? Is that, 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 that would be future. You know, I mean, that they may obtain. Not that they have already obtained, but that they may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory, Right? And so when he's talking about the elect, remember what I said to you a few, a, a few weeks ago? And then I said it again, I think maybe last week. I said, this church, we need to have the mindset that this church is not for us, but for those who are not here. This is what Paul is talking about. See, here's, here, here's the issue when we deal with this election. This is the problem, is that when we deal with election, here is the foundational premise that you need to have in your understanding about God, is that God is good. Say that with me. 
But I want you to understand what that means. God is good. Okay? God is, there is no evil in him. There is no unrighteousness in him. There, there is, he is all good, all the time. Every decision that he makes is righteous. That's what we need to understand. I sat with my dad. We were, I went and visited him yesterday, and I, and, and I can never, I never, ever have a meeting with my dad where we do not at least spend an hour talking about the doctrine of predestination. It's because it is predestined. And I'm cool with that, you know, because I, I love talking to him, you know, and we have conversations and he'll tell me things because, you know, he, you know, he studies a lot. And, you know, he's he's actually, you know, where, where he is, for those of you that don't know, my father is incarcerated. And where he is at, the actual chaplain there is a hardcore five-point Calvinist. And he is teaching, you know, he's having them be taught, all of the guys that care to be, they're taught Greek and Hebrew. And, you know, so they're learning, like, what the language and all, I mean, they're learning all of this great stuff, which, you know, sometimes can just give you a big head, Lord, but anyway, I didn't say that was my dad, so y'all, y'all took that the wrong, uh, just some folks, right, they get, they learn some languages, they start to think some things, but, and he, and him and I were talking about some, you know, some folks that were like that, right, that are, that he's dealing with, and um, so, as we're, you know, as we're having this conversation, I said, you know what, I said, let me ask you a question, because I have, I'm the oldest of six in my home, but I also have two, two other brothers that I met one time for like, I, I knew them for like, I met them and hung out with them for probably like a week, and you know, it's for my dad, and so I have two half-brothers, and then I have my sister and myself that are from my father, and so I asked him a question, I said, let me ask you something, I said, you're a dad, right, and he said, yeah, and I said, do you love your kids equally, and he said, absolutely, and I said, okay, and I said, I know I'm the favorite, but anyway. I said, you love your kids equally? He's like, absolutely. I said, would you, do you want harm for any of your children? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, and would you help all of your children equally in order to make sure that they succeeded in life or whatever? And he said, absolutely. And I said, and you're wicked. He didn't get offended because, you know, we were having the conversation, so it was all good. I wasn't, I wasn't disrespecting my dad. I said, and you're wicked. I said, so how could we accuse God of doing this? And this, this, this is the example that I've seen. Duck, duck, damned. Duck, duck, damned. Duck, duck, damned. That's not election. If you have that understanding of election, that is incorrect. That's not the heart of God in election. Now, here's what I will tell you. I don't know how he does it. Y'all thought I was going to be real deep and give you, like, some real explanation? That's the reason why we have all kind of different doctrine, because everybody wants to figure out and put a, on something nobody really understands. I do not understand how God elects. I don't. But what I do know is that there are people that are elected. There are pe- and I thank God that as long as I, as I persevere, then I guess I'm going to prove to be one of the elect. Amen? Amen? Because here's what the Bible says clearly. The Bible, see, this is why you don't judge a thing before time, because someone can look all spiritual, and then they just fall off. And then, you know, they can fall off and fall back in. And I don't say fall, but I'm just saying that. But they fall off, come back. And you judged it before the time, said, oh, that person's going to hell. Really? Yeah, they were. <laughs> Thank God that they didn't die then. But if they died today, at least from what I can see, they're going to heaven. Hallelujah. But ultimately, we, gotta, we, we have to realize that there are people who are elect. And there are some people who are not. If, you're, if, if there, there are elect, then that means they would be like unelect. I'm just saying, I, I, listen, I, I'm telling you right now. I don't understand it. There's three positions on this whole theory. I'm going to give you the three. I'm going to tell you one of them. The first one I'm going to tell you is heresy. Absolutely not God. The first one is a universalist position. 
And that is that at the end of time, Jesus is going to save everybody because of, his, because of his sacrifice on the cross, and that's it. So everybody's going to go. They, they, they may be separated for a time, but at the end, they're all going to heaven. I want you to know that that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible teaches that nowhere. And then there are two other positions. And you can pick which one you want to believe. I really, it really doesn't make a difference to me. There is one thing that matters to me. It is that you know who saves you. Because I can, I can argue with you on this point all day long, but if you understand this one thing, that's all that matters to me. Who saves you? It is not you. I do not save myself. This word elect, it means chosen. Jesus tells the disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And so here are the two positions. These are the two positions. There's one position. It is just simply that God decides for whatever reason. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose you. You are going to be saved. That is what's going to happen, period. That's it. That's one position. Some of y'all don't like that. The point is, there's some people that believe that, and I'm fine with those people. I love them. They're brothers in Jesus as long as they know Jesus is the one who saved them. And then there is the other position. The other position is, and this is the one that I lean more towards, but whatever. It doesn't really make a difference. I'm letting you know my opinion. It is that God looks down the whole time of history, and he sees that you are going to make a decision, and that's how you are elected. Okay. But you know what? Here's the bottom line. Can I, I'm, I'm going to say this. No matter which position you believe, guess what? You're still stuck with the election. Did you hear me? Even if you believe this one, that God's the one that chooses, here's the beauty. Of, and, I, and even I lean towards this one, I'm going to tell you the beauty of this one. Beauty of this one. The beauty of this one over here, because y'all think I'm just going to hit you. No, I want to give you the beauty of this one, because a lot of you are afraid of this one. Over here, the Bible teaches us something about ourselves. No one chooses God. No one goes after him. No one. And so there are three people in the equation who can do the choosing. It is you. The Bible says you won't. It is Satan. He can choose. Guess who he's choosing? No one. He's, he's unelecting everyone. Uncheck, uncheck, uncheck. Yes, nope, I want all of them. And then there is the third option. A good, loving God. So no matter where you fall on the spectrum, just know that God is He's not unfair in the way that he does things. He is sovereignly in control. And listen, he calls all to repent of sin. Listen, every person that stands before Jesus is not going to be able to say, hey, you didn't elect me. What's up? I had no choice in the matter. Oh, yes, you did. And he's going to show them choice after choice after choice. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity where they rejected him. That's where we have to understand that our God is a good God. And Paul says, I endure all things for the elect. Because I don't know who is elect. Here's one of the statistics we learned when we were doing evangelism. It was oh, we were doing becoming a contagious Christian learning on one of the aspects of evangelism. And it was that it takes the average person seven times to hear the gospel before they respond. Seven times. So what does that tell me? 
That means that probably like six times, you know, if you're talking to a person, you're going to hear no. And it doesn't mean seven times you share in the gospel because now you're going to go count. You're going to be like, okay, I shared it once. <laughs> Month later, I shared it again. Listen, you may just be the one person because every time they hear it, it's like the first time. I'm just saying. But then they hear it through someone else. You know, it's kind of like your wife asks you, you know, your opinion about something she's wearing. You tell her, yeah, wear that. Then she goes, asks one of her friends, and her friend says no. And she says no. It's like, why would you listen to her instead of me, right? It just happens that way, glory to God, sometimes. Ultimately, if it takes a person that many times to hear the gospel, on average, not everyone, but on average, it takes a person that many times, then that means that we really don't know who the elect are. Because you can say, oh, well, I guess they're not elect. I'm not going to talk to them ever again. That is why you love people. Did you hear me? That is why you love people. That's why you suffer rejection. That is why you suffer when they say no, they don't want your Jesus. You continue to love them. You continue to show them the love of Christ. You continue to try to persuade them. Don't try to shove the gospel down their throat. Listen, be a faithful witness. That's what Paul did. And if we are going to do what God has called us to do, then that means that we must persevere. We must continue on because we don't know who the elect are, but we want to make sure that we are prepared for them. It's amazing because I had two conversations um, after the last um, vision carrier class that we had. And just as a side note, we have the vision carrier sign up in the lobby, so make sure that you sign up before you leave if you have not done that. And if you went through the vision care, what's that? And if you and and if you um, if you went through the vision carrier class and you did not give me your information card, I need that so that way I can process you. Amen. Because you need to be processed. But in the vision carrier class, we had a I had a conversation with someone. And in this conversation, this someone with love came to me and they commented about two things that they questioned. And when they had this comment, they really, and for me, I felt, I felt in no way, shape, or form. Remember I told you that I don't like to be corrected? And this way, I wasn't offended. I was like, you know, that makes sense. It was all good. Two things that they commented on. One of them was on altar calls. The other one was on us not having service on Memorial Day Sunday and on Labor Day Sunday. And so when they had the conversation with me, you know, I explained to them why we did that, but I thought about it. Now, I want you to go, I want to go back a little bit before that because prior to that, how a conversation with someone else who had an issue with us not having church on Memorial Day Sunday and Labor Day Sunday. Now, here's the difference. In the conversation with the, with, with the first person, they came to me, and this is what they said to me. You know, my schedule is like this. I can only get off two days a week, and so I specifically take off Wednesdays and Sundays so the way I can be in church. And then you go on ahead and you change the day for Sunday so I can't be in church. Did you hear the word I like three times in the conversation? It was all about them. And I was like, you know what? You need to repent because nowhere in the Bible does it say that I have to have church on Memorial Day Sunday. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> I didn't say that last part. I said nowhere in the scriptures does it say that I have to have church every Sunday, that we have to have church every Sunday. And that's what I went into the conversation with or whatever. I wasn't really compelled the second conversation was different. Second conversation, you know, we talked a little bit about the altar, altar call. And still, I, I still firmly believe, I mean, the scriptures don't show me that we have to have an altar call. But what I do is I do my own hybrid altar call now, right? So what do I do? I just open up the altar. I'm not going to beg you to come to the front. If you want Jesus, you need him, come to the front. We'll pray for you. We're going to open it up. I'm not going to force you to do it. It's open for you. We want to pray for you. That's the bottom line. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. But it was because the person's heart, when they came to me, wasn't about them. The person's heart was more about the other people that were in need. So I was like, you know what? I can go with that. I can get with that. The second thing that they brought up to me was the whole thing about Memorial Day and Labor Day. And here's what they said to me. They said, what about the visitors? 
who will come to the church that Sunday and there's no church. What about them? And see, now it wasn't about them. It was about the elect. What about that person who was looking on, on the website, right, that we make investments in and found us online and has no clue that we don't have church that Sunday, and they decide, maybe they found us weeks before, and even if we put an announcement, they weren't going back to check to see your update. They got our address, they made it on that Sunday, and we didn't have church. And so, in our last calendar meeting, we had a conversation, and I said, look, man, it's not written that I have to do this on Sunday. To one person, a day is holy, another day, every day is holy. That's how I feel. I feel like every day is holy. There's not one day that is holy. We can have church on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. We can have church on Monday night if we wanted to, Monday, whatever. But the point of the matter is, the heart of the person was about the elect. It wasn't about anything else. And you know what we decided? We said, you know what? We're just going to have church on those Sundays. We're going to make it a good time. We're going to have barbecue afterwards, so we're going to make it appealing for y'all to come. And for hopefully the elect that come too, and we can bring them out there and have some fun with them. Amen? So what is the heart? The heart is we persevere. We make the sacrifice. Listen, it's real easy. It's real easy for me to just say, I'm going to just take a three-day weekend, and I'm going to just chill out. But you know what? Those souls matter more. Amen? In closing, and I mean that, glory to God, it's about that time. He says in verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. And so perseverance is by the grace of God. He closes this portion with this faithful saying. And here's the things that I just want you to get as we're closing. Have you died with him? He said, if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. That living with him is not talking about future. It's talking about present. If we have died with him, we will live for him, with him, now, until we meet him in glory. How do we die with him? You meet him at the cross. You come to that place where you understand that you are a sinner. You come to that place where you understand that you are separated from God. You come to that place where you understand that your righteousness is not good enough. You come to that place where you realize that apart from Jesus... There is no hope. There is no salvation. You do like Jabez that we talked about last week who was cursed from his birth. And what he does, he calls upon the name of the Lord. And then you come to that place where you recognize what Jesus did on the cross is the only thing that saves you. That's how you die with him. You die by identifying, by coming to that place. Like I asked my daughter this morning, how do I become a Christian? Because that's what it's about. You become a Christian through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And you continue being a Christian through repentance of sin and faith of G in Jesus Christ. But how do you start the walk? You recognize that. You die. And then he guarantees, he says, you will live with him. And then he also says, we shall, if we endure, if we go through the hardship, if we endure, we shall reign with him. So maybe you're a Christian in this place. Things are getting kind of rough. You're going through some hardship. God encourages you today. Be encouraged. Endure. Because you shall reign. You will reign in glory. And all of this suffering is not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed according to the book of Romans chapter 8. That's what he says. 
But then he goes on and he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. So if you're not a Christian, you have a choice to accept what he's saying or deny it today. And I will tell you, if you deny it today and you die without ever, without ever repenting, he will deny you. Going to a church, I don't, I don't care if you were raised in church, that doesn't make you a Christian. That's like you jumping in a fishbowl and saying, I'm a fish. That just makes you stink. And just being in church all the time just makes you stink because you look like a hypocrite. And so, are you going to deny him if you don't know him? Or are you going to repent? He goes on to say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so there's moments for us as Christians, right, where we come to those places where we're faithless. We don't know how we're going to get through the situation. He remains faithful. He can't deny himself. He is going to continue to be faithful. He's going to continue to be faithful continue to show us love. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet, please. We are going to do communion today at this part of the service, but before we do that, I just want to, I want to say you've heard the word of God. If you are not a Christian, today is your opportunity. If you are backslidden and you don't know him, today is your opportunity to come forward and repent of sin. And so because we're doing communion in a